0: And if you would join me in the ninth chapter of the gospel, according to Luke, it's been good to be in God's house today. I trust that you believe and feel that as well. God's spirit is present here. Jesus' spirit is present here with us. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, there am I in the midst, he said. And I trust that you've come for no other reason than to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship Jesus who sits on the throne high and lifted up and to worship Him and hear from Him today. Luke chapter 9. How many of you are parents? Let me see your hands. majority of us in here today. If you're a parent, then I think that you can relate with the individual who comes to Jesus at this part of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is very much a transitional part of Jesus' ministry. If you think about it, we go back to early in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sends his disciples out, having given them power and authority to go out and to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, to heal people of infirmities. They come back and they tell Jesus about the wonderful things that they've been able to do with his power. And immediately Jesus takes them apart to rest. A multitude follows them and there's not much rest to be had. And they minister to these people. And Jesus feeds 5,000 men with the five loaves and two fishes provided by a little boy that was there as a part of the crowd. From there, Jesus asked his disciples who do men say that I am who do you say that I am and then he taught them what discipleship looks like the terms of discipleship it's not what we often would like to make the terms of discipleship Jesus's terms are much higher than we would often like for the terms of discipleship to be but then he took Peter James and John and he went up on a mount he prayed And as he prayed, they slept. And as they're sleeping, God's glory is revealed. Jesus unveils his glory. Moses and Elijah show up and they talk about not his glory being revealed, but his coming death. And... Peter, James, and John are ready to stay right there. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's just stay here, bask in the glory and worship. And that wasn't what the event was all about. What was the event all about? This is my son. Hear him. Listen to him. Follow him. And by the way, glory only ever comes after the cross. This wasn't God saying, you know what, let's just bypass the cross No, Jesus had to go to the cross, be raised to life, and then be exalted in heaven. And so you and I as disciples of Jesus must endure the cross before enjoying the glories of eternity. But then we come back to Jesus' ministry and interaction. He's just revealed his glory. We could say that this passage now is going to be God's glory in action. Let's see an activity of God's glory taking place. But I think that we can relate, if you're a parent, certainly, with the man in this text. Uh, I want us to look at Luke chapter 9, and we're going to consider Jesus and. We're going to consider Jesus and the dad. We're going to consider Jesus and the disciples And then we're going to consider Jesus and the devil. Because all of these show up here in this text. Look at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse number 37. And it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master! I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering O faithless and perverse generation how long shall I be with you and suffer you bring thy son hither and as he was yet a coming the devil threw him down and tear him and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father Let's pause and pray this morning before we dig into the text. Father, we are so grateful and thankful for the service that we've already had today, baptizing two individuals who have expressed their profession of faith in Jesus alone for salvation. We are thankful for the music that has drawn our hearts to you as we've exalted Jesus through song. We thank you for the time of reading your word and prayer that we've already participated in. And now as we come to the time of opening the word of God and breaking the bread of heaven that we might eat and be filled, I ask that you would fill us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would do a work in our midst today that is unique, that is unusual, that is special. May we be obedient. May we have our ears open, but also our minds and our hearts. And I ask that you would do a special work in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus came down off what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, and the Bible tells us that this event takes place the very next day. He's revealed his glory to Peter, James, and John, but now he veils his glory again. And there's a crowd of people waiting for him to come off the hill. And almost immediately, the Bible doesn't tell us that any teaching takes place. The Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus is healing people just in multitude of numbers. No, almost immediately as he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and this company is there, a man cries out from the crowd, Master, and even just reading the account, can't you, those of you who are parents especially, can't you relate to this dad? I mean, when something happens to your children, some of you are parents of adult children, and I, I would imagine, I, I'm not there yet, but I would imagine that even if something transpires with your adult children, you have a tug at your heart just as when they're not adult children, just as when they're young and little like mine are. You have a tug at your heart. You you love your child, and you want to see what's best for them. And when they are in pain, when they're going through difficulty, it hurts you. I hope she won't be embarrassed by my sharing, but last summer as I was going through a, a multitude of different health difficulties, and we learned the investigation that I had the tumor in my hip, and we didn't know what was going on with it yet. We didn't know benign or malignant or any of those things yet and we scheduled i was referred to the specialist at UNC Chapel Hill and we went to see him and and walked out of there with the the assurance that he believed it was obvious that it was benign and and not long after we got in the vehicle my wife suggested you need to call your parents and so i called my my dad and i i shared with dad the the specialist Believes he's confident that the tumor is benign, that there's, at this point, no need for concern or any of those things. And my dad was happy to hear that, and my mom got on the phone, and she was happy to hear it, and and she made this statement. She said, maybe now my bowels will go back to working properly. Her stomach had been in knots, just concerned about her child, who's not a baby anymore, at least I don't think I am, but she was concerned about her child. I think we can relate, if you're a parent, with this dad. I mean, look at what's going on for this, this child. The evidence of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the Gospels that share this account, lead us to see that are very much like the symptoms of Epilepsy and the type of seizure that someone who is epileptic will experience at different times. Some scholars have tried to make the statement that um, this this child was not actually demon-possessed. This was an ignorant way in ancient times of describing what was simply epileptic seizure or shock, The reality is that's not the case. Jesus would have known the difference for sure. And actually, if you go back, ancient Greeks talk about a disease that they describe very much like we describe epilepsy today. So they saw a difference there. There seems to be no question, there certainly is not in my mind, that this son was possessed of a demon. And look what the demon cost. The Bible says that the the man told Jesus when the spirit takes hold of him, when when the spirit exhibits control, the boy cries out. The, The word literally has the idea of to croak, to scream, to cry aloud. Have you ever, as a parent, been sleeping when your children were younger and suddenly there is that shriek, there's that scream, you are awakened from your death, your deep sleep, by this just shrill cry of a child who seems to be dying. They're not. They had a bad dream, or they need to use the bathroom, or, you know, something like that. But you've been awakened like that. This, on the other hand, was very different. The Bible goes on to say that the man says, The spirit teareth him. The word means to mangle, to cause, to convulse. And he foameth, literally, foam coming out at the mouth. You. You picture something, again, very much like a seizure that leads to shock when you picture a scene like this. The Bible says that the spirit bruising him, the idea here is to crush completely, to shatter. I would imagine that this poor boy had bruises all over his body, lacerations, perhaps even at times had broken bones because of the result the demon exhibiting control upon him. And this dad is desperate. Even before he described the spirit exhibiting control over his child, he he said to Jesus, "I beseech you, look upon my son." Did you see he gave a further description, "He is my only child." We've seen another dad with an only child earlier in the book of Luke, haven't we? Jairus with his daughter who was very sick and he came to Jesus desperate. This dad as well is very desperate. He begs Jesus. He petitions Jesus. And notice what he asks for. The Bible doesn't tell us he asked Jesus to heal his son. The Bible doesn't tell us that he asked Jesus to perform an exorcism, cast the demon, What does he ask Jesus to do? Look upon him. Just look upon him. Don't miss this. This man believed that if all Jesus did was look upon his son, his son would be helped. Now, what exactly did he understand or believe? Did he think that if Jesus looked upon his son, that would would be all it would take for his son to be healed? Perhaps. I think it's more likely that he trusted the love and the compassion that Jesus always showed. If you'll just look upon my son, I know your compassionate, loving heart will move you. To do something for him, it was the prophet Jeremiah who wrote, "Mine eye affecteth my heart." Have you ever, have you ever seen someone in a a pitiful state? And it was such a pitiful state that it affected your heart. You saw that person in that situation, and your heart just. Groaned for that person was moved for that person this father believed jesus if you just simply will look at if you'll see my son your heart will be moved with compassion why would he think that i believe he's seen jesus before he has seen the love and compassion of jesus in action before and he believes it will happen here we find this of of individuals in relation to God throughout the scripture. In fact, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 11, you'll find a woman by the name of Hannah. And she's come to the tabernacle, and she's bowing on her face before God, crying out because her heart longs for a child. And notice what she says. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed what? Look on the affliction of thine handmaid. She believed if God would give her attention, if you'll but look on my affliction, she believes God would act. In, In the Psalms, we find this a number of times. I'll give you just a couple of examples. In Psalm 25, verse 18, the psalmist cries out to God and says, Look upon mine affliction and pain. And then again in in Psalm 119, Psalm 119 in verse 132, the Bible declares here that the psalmist says, look thou upon me and be merciful unto me. Have there ever been times in your life where you questioned, you, you wondered if you felt as if God wasn't seeing you, that God wasn't looking upon you? that god didn't know what was taking place or going on in your life have there been times in your life where you've been on your face and on your knees you've been going through something you've been enduring hardship you've been going through difficulty or maybe like the dad it's been there's something going on in your family maybe maybe there is a need that you and your spouse Maybe there is something going on in your child's life, and you've cried out to God. Maybe it's been some other situation for you, but, but you've been in that place. You've wondered if God is looking, and you've had this thought that if, God, you would just see me, if you would just look upon me, I know you'd do something, and maybe you've cried out, God, see me. God, look upon me. Hey, can I encourage you, if you, going through something and you've had some of those feelings get alone with God and cry out that way God look on me see me where I am in my situation and can I tell you today I believe with all my heart that God does see you but if you cry out to God that way you will be assured in very special ways that God sees you Do you remember Hagar when she had to leave Sarai after giving birth to Ishmael And she thought that she and Ishmael were going to die there in the wilderness. And God spoke to Hagar. And in Hagar's response, she gives us one of the most beautiful names of God in all the Bible. And she says, thou God seest me. What a beautiful picture. Our God sees this father, believe Jesus, if you'll but look on my son, your heart of compassion will move you to do something. And then I want you to see about this dad that he had already tried, hadn't he? What does he say? After describing to Jesus what happens when the spirit takes control of his son, he says, I came to your disciples. I I asked your disciples to do something. And they they didn't, they couldn't. Now this is amazing to me. Why why would this amaze me? What happened earlier in Luke chapter 9? Jesus gave his disciples power and authority to preach the gospel, to heal people of infirmities, and to what? Cast out demons. When did this father come to his disciples? Was this father someone the disciples ministered to while they were on this missionary journey? Was it Peter and John, or Matthew and James, or two of the others as they were sent out two by two who had ministered to this father and his son? They had cast out demons of other people, they had healed people of infirmities, they had preached the gospel, but for some reason, when it came time for this dad to get help for his son, it didn't work. Maybe it was after their journey and And Jesus was off alone praying to God the Father, and so they came to the disciples, and the disciples were like, all right, we'll give this a try, and they tried and failed. But here's what I want you to see about it. This Father prays a prayer in a sense, as recorded in Mark's Gospel that we read Service that is a famous and familiar prayer in the scripture. Jesus would tell him, if you believe all things are possible, and the Father prays what? Lord, do you remember? I believe what? Help my unbelief. But here's what I want you to see. I don't see this dad as too lacking in faith. He came to Jesus' as disciples. They tried and failed. And do you know what he didn't do? He didn't go back home. He didn't go looking for somebody else. He didn't give up on Jesus' followers. He didn't give up on Jesus' He didn't throw in the towel and say, "Well, I tried and failed, and it didn't work, so I'm just gonna give up. I'm gonna go try someone or something. Just go home and live with the situation." No, Jesus's disciples failed, but that did not stop this dad from coming back again, looking for Jesus. You might be here today, and you say, "You know, I've tried that. I've tried it, and it didn't." work don't give up keep coming back keep going back to God he will not fail I don't see this dad is struggling with unbelief in fact what I see is a a man who had faith he believed Jesus could do something that's why he came back even after Jesus' disciples failed I want you to think about what this dad asked for for a moment. Because I think there's a beautiful picture here that relates to and connects with the gospel. This dad came to Jesus, and though the text doesn't spell it out, what was it the dad was hoping Jesus would do? Heal his son. This dad was hoping that jesus would cast the demon out of his son this man came to jesus asking jesus to look upon his son knowing that if jesus looked on his son his heart of compassion would move jesus to do that work that's what he was hoping for he was asking jesus jesus evil in the form of a demon a devil has overwhelmed and taken hold of my son. Please spare my son. That's exactly what Jesus would do. Jesus spared this man's son by casting out the evil that had overwhelmed and taken hold of this son. And I think of Jesus and God the Father. When the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 about God, that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Think about it. Here's a dad coming to Jesus because his son had been overwhelmed and taken hold of by evil and it was destroying him. And he came to Jesus saying, Jesus, look upon him, have compassion, heal him, spare my son when all the while Jesus, who had just started teaching his disciples, I'll go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the religious leaders, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be slain, and the third day rise again. Why? Because God the Father spared not his own son. God looked on us. He saw the brokenness, he saw the sin, he saw the evil that had overwhelmed and taken hold of us. And in love, he sent his only son, Jesus, to this world. Jesus came, he lived that perfect life that we cannot live. He went to Jerusalem knowing what would happen. And he laid down his life willingly. What did Jesus do? He allowed evil to overwhelm, take hold of, and destroy him. You say, is that what happened? Yet, yeah, remember Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman's going to come and the serpent will do what? Bruise his heel. It would seem as if evil would have a victory. Jesus would be crushed to death as the song we sang not long ago said. For you and for me. A father came to Jesus saying, spare my son. Aren't you thankful today that God did not spare his son? God, in love for you and I, sent his son. His son, Jesus, willingly laid down his life, allowing evil to overwhelm, take hold of, and destroy him. So that you and I could be delivered, we could be set free, we could be spared. The condemnation of sin and death, I'm thankful today that God did not spare Jesus. Would you see, secondly, not only Jesus and the dad, but let's think about Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the disciples. If you're a parent, you can relate with this dad and the hurt and the difficulty his son was facing and how your heart is tugged by those needs in your children but if you're a parent you also know what it is for your children to drive you crazy to irritate to frustrate to anger why do i have to say it 12 times before you get it and that's just in these two minutes I kind of wonder if that's not the way Jesus, in a sense, looked once in a while upon his disciples. He makes a pretty strong statement here in verse number 41. What was it? Look back at it. I mean, this is a strong statement. We typically see Jesus saying things like this only to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who should have known better and didn't. But look what he says Oh, faithless. And perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Faithless, disbelieving. The word perverse here means to distort, to misinterpret or corrupt. How long shall I suffer you? That word means to hold oneself up against or to put up with. Yes, Jesus literally said, how long am I going to have to put up with you? Now, the question is, who's he talking to? Well, pastor, it's in your point, and you're right. He's talking to his disciples. This isn't about the crowd. It's not about the dad standing before him. It's not about religious leaders. Jesus was talking to Peter, to James, to John. John. To Matthew, to Thaddeus, to Thomas, to Philip, to Nathaniel and the others. Jesus is talking to them when he says, "O oh, faithless and perverse generations, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Jesus was driving a point home to his disciples. I believe it's because they should have had the uh, ability to this demon out of this boy but they failed it wasn't accomplished when they tried the question is why did they have the power before yeah go back to early in Luke chapter 9 he gave them that power and authority Jesus would not rebuke his disciples for this if They did not have the power and authority. Do you believe that? Do you think Jesus would have rebuked his disciples for this if they didn't have the power and authority to cast out the demon? I don't think he would have. They did, but they failed. Why? Well, the gospel accounts give us the reasons why. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Why? Because of a lack of faith. Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, In Matthew's gospel, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus tells them, because of your unbelief. You did not believe as you should have. In Mark chapter 9, verse 29, he gives another reason, not only a lack of faith, but a lack of prayer. In Mark chapter 9, which we read earlier in the service, Jesus indicates that this kind, well, this kind of what? The demon that had taken hold of this boy. This kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. He had given them the power and authority. But they didn't believe as they should have. And they had not prayed as they should have. And because they did not believe as they should have. And because they had not prayed as they should have. They failed god do great and glorious things through them in casting out this demon and that hits right home to you and me doesn't it have you ever wondered what do we miss out on because we do not believe and do not pray as we should Have you ever wondered, what might God do through me? What might God do in me? What might God do for me? What might God do in, for, and through my family? What might God do in, for, and through my church? What might God do through, in, and for my ministry? If I believed and if I prayed as I should. What do we miss out on? It happened to the disciples then. Should we think that things have changed in that way? If Jesus said, you failed where you could have succeeded because you didn't believe as you should have and you didn't pray as you should have. Should we believe it would be any different for us today? I believe with all my heart god is ready god is able and god would do more in for and through us if we would believe as we should and pray as we should what are we missing out on because of a lack of faith because of a lack of prayer and then as we think about those things i want to see finally jesus and the devil Jesus, then he told the dad bring your son to me bring him close I want you to see what happens as the dad brings his demon possessed son to Jesus notice what happens in verse number 42 bring thy son hither And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. That word tear, you might write down, means to rend completely, to convulse violently. It is more emphatic than the words used earlier in the text. When the dad said, well, here's what happens when the demon takes control of him, this word is more emphatic Don't miss this, because if you miss this, I think you miss a great spiritual truth. As the boy got closer to Jesus, things got worse. Do you see that in the text? As the boy got closer to Jesus, things got worse. And I don't want you to miss this. Pastor, I've tried that. I've tried believing. I've tried praying. I've cried out to God and said, look upon me. And you know what happened, Pastor? Things got worse. Have you ever had that experience? Pastor, I started praying about the situation more. I committed it over to God pastor as far as i know i i I gave god my my commitment my faith my belief and you know what happened man I, i got up from my prayer time and i went about my day and as the day wore on things got worse things unraveled even more i got a phone call and the situation got deeper and darker than what it had been friends don't miss this truth there are times that as you get closer to jesus things get worse why is that i'll tell you right now that devil wanted no part of being close to jesus and your enemy wants no part of being close to jesus and when you get closer to jesus things might get worse because the devil is fighting harder he's fighting more hey friends by the way there doesn't have to be going, anything going on in your life everything could be great and wonderful and peachy and God could speak to your heart and you could be challenged and encouraged I need to get closer to Jesus and as you work to get closer to Jesus guess what suddenly things get bad and you think why in the world did I do that You take that Asaph approach that I've showed you many times before, Psalm 73. Why do I cleanse my heart in vain? And why do I worship God and follow him and see the prosperity of the wicked all around me? I might as well just throw in the towel and give up. There are times, often, when as you get closer to Jesus, at least for a time, things get worse. In fact I would say you sh- you could expect that but then I want you to see what happens things get worse for that boy and by the way if things get worse for the boy who else do they get worse for they get worse for dad do you wonder if in that moment dad thought man this may have been a bad idea maybe I shouldn't have brought my son to Jesus For a moment things got worse but then look at what Jesus did and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father and things got worse for a time and as you draw close to Jesus things may get worse for a time I think Pastor Ronnie shared about one who trusted Christ yesterday. You know what often happens to someone shortly after they trust Jesus? The spiritual battle picks up. Hey, when someone chooses to follow Jesus in believer's baptism, you can expect there's going to be some spiritual warfare. Believer in Christ, when you make a commitment to Jesus, something that God is working in your heart about, you can can expect that the devil is going to fight hard to get you to break that commitment when you when you decide you're going to you're going to put away all the excuses and you're going to start spending time with God every day reading his word and in prayer you can expect that the devil's going to fight to help you break that commitment you can expect that when you decide it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around me I'm going to give of my resources my wealth the way that God says I should you can expect that the Satan is going to fight hard to get you to break that commitment early on You can expect, as you draw close to Jesus, the devil's going to fight hard. But friends, if you battle through, if you fight through with the power of God that he has given you, you can expect that on the other side, Jesus is going to work. And you'll experience a deliverance. You'll experience a healing. You're, you'll experience a blessing. That reward that God gives to those who follow righteousness. You can expect that Jesus is going to work and make a difference. And Do you know what I think about too as I look at that? What Jesus did? It comes right back to... That rebuke that he gave to his disciples. I mean, this is a pretty miraculous thing, isn't it? This is a wondrous work. Look at what he did and think what might he do in, for, and through me if I would believe and if I would pray? what might God do? What might Jesus do in my life? Oh, I might see things get worse for a while. You've heard it said before, haven't you? The night is always darkest, what? Right before the dawn. I believe that often in your life and mine, things always get darkest right before they break. And Jesus comes shining through. So don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Get alone with God. Trust Him. Pray. Whatever that is in your life, whatever the situation may be. As you draw closer to God and things get harder, it gets darker, the problems get deeper. Don't give up. Battle through. There's a song I've been listening to a lot lately. I love the chorus. They sing in that song, I'm going to worship my way through this battle. I love that. Worship through the battle. And on the other side, he's going to give you a victory. Do you believe that today? We have a wonderful Jesus. I don't know how God might be speaking to your heart today. Maybe you're in that place. You're crying out to God, asking God to look upon you. You're trying to believe and, and pray, and you're just struggling. Things are getting harder. Battle through. Worship through. And God's going to give you the victory on the other side. And maybe today you don't know Jesus as your Savior, As this father asked Jesus to spare his son, so did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all freely that we might have the opportunity to be saved through faith in him. If you don't know Jesus, would you believe today?